Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Next Level Church. We are so glad that you're here this morning celebrating Easter with us. If you're glad you can be here this morning, would you say yes? Amen. Amen. Welcome. Let me just echo. Yeah. Woo. Let me just echo what Caleb said. Uh, If this is your first, second or third time with us. Wow. Welcome. What a privilege uh, it is for us that you would come and take time out of your busy week and celebrate Easter, celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ with us today. Hopefully something, as Caleb said, is said or done or communicated in some way that adds value to your life. I have to admit to you, I'm I'm a little humbled uh, this morning simply to look around um, and think that five years ago on Easter Sunday, uh, there were six of us adults in my living room. And worship consisted of me sitting on like a dining room chair and with a guitar singing like three songs. And uh, we were dreaming of all that Next Level Church could become and the lives that God wanted to touch through this thing called Next Level Church. And so uh, it's amazingly humbling for me to sit up here this morning and uh, to look out and think over the past five years at all that God has done, how many lives have been impacted, how many souls have been saved, uh, how many hearts have been touched, marriages and single people ministered to and impacted. Uh, It's just, it blows my mind that yesterday morning, We're on CNN headline news again. It's like apparently they can't show the story enough. I'm like, we're done with it, all right? And now the producer called me again and said, hey, tell everybody it's Monday night. They're going to show it on Anderson Cooper again. So uh, apparently somebody needs to hear the messages from our series that we just concluded. And so we're excited about that, and we're just pumped to see God impacting so many lives across Southwest Florida, across the country. We got an email this morning from a lady in Ontario, Canada, uh, who saw us on CNN and wanted to um, get in touch with us. A couple of radio stations have uh, called to do more interviews. And again, it's kind of like, can't we just do church again? Can't we just be normal? So anyway, um, so if you're watching Anderson Cooper tomorrow night on on CNN, uh, it's on at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock, I think. So, so anyway, you can see it. If you haven't seen it or at our website, nextlevelchurch.com. But man, oh man, we're just, we're just excited that today is Easter Sunday. Today is Resurrection Sunday where we celebrate Jesus. Yeah, woo! But you know, it really does beg the question, what's the big deal? I mean, really, come on. I mean, we've been watching the commercials all week long, advertising Easter and get your new Easter outfit. and what. But what's the, what's the big deal with this whole Easter thing? I mean, really, according to our culture, it really is just about the Easter bunny and Easter eggs and, and candy and chocolate bunnies. Is, is that it? I mean, what's the big deal? For us as Christians, what's the big deal? Okay, so some guy rose from the dead. I mean, what's up with that anyway, right? And yet the reality is Easter is huge. The significance and meaning of Easter, I believe, is not just for a long, long time ago, but it's also for every single one of our lives where we live today, where we work, where we play, where we uh, survive, where we go to work, where we live with our families. I believe the message of Easter is every bit as relevant today as it's ever been throughout history. And so this morning I want us to simply ask this one big question. What's the big deal? What's the big deal with this Easter thing? And I think in order for us to really, truly answer that question, what's the big deal about Easter? I think we're going to have to zoom out 
and then back up to the beginning of the story. So let me take just a few minutes and, and begin to unpack for us some of the history of not just Christianity, but really the history of the world as the Bible records it. So let's go all the way back to the beginning to find out what the big deal about Easter is. I think we have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve. So, so here's, here's the deal. As the Bible records it, there was this couple in the beginning, Adam and Eve, and they were created by God and they were created good in the garden of Eden. But the problem was God very simply came to them and said, here's, here's all you got to do. We're in fellowship. We're in relationship. The Bible even records that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. And he said to them, listen, you can eat of all of the other trees in the garden, but there's one tree right here in the center that I just, just don't touch that tree. Well, sure enough, we all know the story. The serpent comes and tempts them and says, no, it's no big deal. You can eat from that tree. And Adam and Eve eat from the tree. And all of a sudden, in that moment, their mind changes pace. And they begin to realize that the Bible records that they become aware of good and evil, the difference between good and evil. And suddenly, in that moment, sin entered the human race. Sin entered the human race through Adam and Eve because instead of doing what God wanted them to do and being in that close proximity, that close relationship with God, instead now there's this separation, there's this divide between God and humanity. Well, Adam and Eve do what humans do, and they begin to reproduce and and begin to populate the earth, and there was this separation. But see, God didn't want there to be separation between mankind and himself, and so he decides, I'm going to start me a family. So he reaches down, this is in the book of Genesis, skip ahead a few hundred years, to a guy named Abraham. And he reaches down and he says, I'm going to create a family through Abraham. So Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son and his name was Jacob. And then he later changed his name to Israel. God changed his name. And Jacob or Israel had 12 sons. And through these guys, like they they became like the children of God. They were God's family on earth, the children of Israel, the children of God. That's And, and they began to do what humans do. And they, they begin to populate the earth and multiply. But they found themselves several years later in bondage in Egypt. Long story short, the children of God, God's family, finds themselves in Egypt, in slavery, in bondage to the Egyptian people. So God looks down from heaven and he says, well, that's not going to work. I don't want my people, my family to be in bondage. So, so God sends a deliverer. And that deliverer's name was Moses. And hopefully all of us watched the Ten Commandments last night. Whoosh, whoosh. Part in the water, Charlton Heston is like as good as ever, isn't it? It's like, wow, how regal, how majestic, how awesome is your name? No. Uh, and it, so, so God sends Moses. And he sees that the children of God, the children of Israel, his God's family are in bondage in Egypt. And he says, I don't want my people to be in bondage. So he sends Moses down as their deliverer. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, yeah, let my people go. No, 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 no. Kinda. You can re- read it in the Bible. It doesn't, it's not word for word there, but that's kind of the quick paraphrase for us. So Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, this ain't going to work. We got to get him out of here. So God uses Moses to deliver his family, the children of God, the children of Israel, out of Egypt, part the Red Sea, the whole deal. They go through on dry ground. The Egyptian armies charge into the water. God puts the water back. It's like the big victory for God. So now you've got the people of God, children of Israel, God's people, several million strong. In the middle of nowhere, wandering around, 
functioning like a big old family. It's like my big fat Greek wedding on like steroids. It's like gone bad. So you got the people of God who have no clue how to do anything but just be like brothers and sisters and cousins. So they're all fighting and hurting each other and just it's all just all bad. And so God's like, well, this isn't going to work. You guys need a minimum standard of human behavior. And God sends through Moses the Ten Commandments. Are you starting to put the pieces together? Check this out. For some of us, this is new information. We've never heard this kind of church history before. So God sends Moses up on this big tall mountain, and he gives him ten minimum standards for human behavior. Now, here's the thing. In our culture, we kind of have elevated over the years the Ten Commandments. We sort of, you know, we think of the Ten Commandments, and we think of them as this high and lofty standard, and they've taken them down from the courthouse walls, you know. And and we think of that, and and that's important, and there's significance to that, and and reasons why that is upsetting to us as Christians. But this wasn't God raising humanity up to some huge high and lofty standard. As we study and look at the Ten Commandments, you know what we find out? This is God like throwing the bar on the ground and humanity finding a way to slither underneath it. Now, think about the Ten Commandments. What's commandment number one? Um, Make sure that I'm number one. God's like, you know, there's a whole bunch of other little G gods that you could worship out there. Could you just make sure that I'm first? And oh, yeah, by the way, um, when you use my name, could you just like not use it flippantly? Don't be walking around going, oh, my God. Don't listen. There's power in my name. Don't don't be flippant. Oh, yeah. And could you just listen to your mom and dad? They have some wisdom and you could probably learn some stuff. And while you're at it, by the way, here's a commandment for you. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Matter of fact, he even expands on it. This is this is the great Ten Commandments. He expands on it. Anything your neighbor has. Don't, could you just not get jealous of that, okay? Don't be jealous of his mule or his wife or his house or his stuff. That's just, I mean, guys, could you just not kill each other? These are the Ten Commandments. Okay, listen, my kindergarten son understands this stuff. This is not God elevating humanity to some huge high standard. This is God going, listen, every kindergartner on the planet, don't steal. Don't take somebody else's crayons. This is kindergarten level theology. And yet, Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments and is like, listen, could you not steal each other's stuff and don't get jealous of each other and don't kill each other. And if she's not your wife, don't sleep with her. And we as humanity find a way to slither underneath that bar that's been dropped on the floor. And God's like, okay, listen, you're not, you're not getting it. You don't understand the problem here. The sin thing in the human, human race is, is doing harm. And, and so from the Ten Commandments then flows the law. And sadly, in our culture, this is what many equate with Christianity. A bunch of rules and regulations. And when they think of church, when they think of God, when they think of Christianity... They don't think of it oftentimes as you and I think of it. They, they think of it in terms of don't do this and don't do that. That's the way our culture views Christianity today. And the reason why is because right here, they, they kind of get stuck in the story right here and then they check out. But see, the reason God brought the law 
was so that you and I and, and humanity could understand just how messed up we are. Look at this. Romans chapter 5 says it this way. The Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Rome, and he describes for them, because they were asking the same question, well, then why all the rules? Why, why the law in the Old Testament? Why, why did God even do that? Well, check out what Romans 5 says. It says the law was brought so that trespass, or sin, is another word for trespass, could increase. In other words, the reason God brought the law back in the Old Testament days, all the rules and regulations, was to prove to humanity you can't do it alone. You can try and try and try and try and try. You can try and be good enough and try and follow the rules and try and do all of those things, but you're never going to be able to get it right. This sin thing in you is just too ingrained in who you are. It's entered the human race and we're caught. We're busted. It's like like an episode of Punk gone bad. It's like it's like God punked the human race. And he basically says, "Listen, I got to show you in no uncertain terms that you can't there aren't enough rules on the planet for you to follow to ever work your way back to me." And then check this out. God brings the law, and then at the end of the Old Testament, here's here's how the story kind of takes an intermission. God goes silent for 400 years. Silent. This God of relationship, this God who, who, who desperately wants with all his heart to be in relationship with this humanity that he's created, he goes silent. And at the end of the Old Testament, we find this silence. I love my kids because um, my three-year-old is he's just getting to a point where he's, he's starting to understand the difference between when a movie comes out in the theater and when it comes out on DVD. So like a few months ago, the movie Happy Feet came out and he started seeing commercials for the movie Happy Feet, you know, and he's like, oh, Happy Feet, we got to buy that movie on DVD. And my, my three-year-old's kind of like a tech head. He's going he's gonna to be like the production manager of Next Level Church. One day, I mean, he, he knows how to hold DVDs. To hold it. So he starts seeing these commercials for Happy Feet. And he's like, Daddy, we gotta buy that on DVD. And I said, Well, buddy, it's not it's not out on DVD yet. It's only in the it's in the theaters. So when it came out in the theaters, we went and we, you know, we bought tickets and we took him to Happy Feet and he saw it. And when we come out of the movie, he's going, Well, we gotta go buy that on DVD. I'm like, buddy, it's gonna be a while. It's gonna be several months before the movie we just saw in the theater makes it to DVD. And my three-year-old, he's finally, he's almost four. He's just now starting to understand the difference. So, so all of a sudden, they kind of get over like the happy feet craze. And then about six weeks ago, they start seeing commercials. Coming on DVD, March 27th, happy feet. And all, it's like, it's like my kids are like, happy feet, it's coming. I mean, they're so excited about happy feet on DVD now with bonus features, right? It's like, they, I mean, they are like pumped up because up to this point, all we have is the memory of seeing happy feet in the theater. But now we can own it. It's ours. 
March 27th, Tuesday, March 27th, I'm taking my kids to school and they get out of the car and the last thing they say to me, goodbye, daddy, we love you. Today, happy feet coming out on DVD with bonus features. We can own it. Grandpa's going to pick us up and take us to the store to buy it. I mean, they, they get it. They understand that there's this, there's like this lag time between, you know, when it comes out in the theater and when it comes out on DVD. And see, God kind of did the same thing. That he gave us a glimpse into who he was. He, he let us come in and see him through the Old Testament. And see characteristics of him. But then he goes silent for like 400 years. And like there's just this downtime. And all across the world, humanity has thought that, that God's kind of left the building. That he's checked out. That he's, he's abandoned them. So you end up with these religious leaders who only have the law. They, they only kind of have, you know, the, the ticket stub of seeing, you know, a glimpse of God in the past. So they start trying to devise loopholes. And they're like, well, if this is all we got, then this is, this is all we got. And so they try and come up with these loopholes to make their way around it. But then all of a sudden, after 400 years, seemingly out of nowhere, God begins to move again. Enter John the Baptist. All of a sudden, after 400 years of silence, the water starts to turn again. God starts to move again. And all of a sudden, there's this crazy guy, this like hippie freak guy. Who, trust me, it's in the Bible that way. It's, it's not written hippie freak, but it's kind of like that. You can read it right in there. This guy, he wears like all kinds of weird clothes and he eats bugs and he's out in the middle of crazy places and he's telling everyone, get ready, get ready, get ready. God's moving again. Get ready. Consider the way you're living your life. Get ready. God's moving. And he makes such a stir in the religious community, that a bunch of the religious leaders actually send some of their servants out to ask him, who are you? Hey, crazy guy, crazy hippie freak guy, what are you doing? What are you talking about? The last thing we heard from God was like 400 years ago from some prophet who was Italian named Malachi, and now we don't have a clue what you're talking about. So they send some, it wasn't really Italian, it's actually Malachi, but it was an attempt at humor, go with it. So... So these religious leaders of the day, they send out some of their servants and they're like, go find out what is up with this John guy. He's crazy and he's eating bugs and he's wearing all kinds of fur, crazy stuff. Go go find out what this guy is up to, what his story is. And ask him, are you the the Messiah? Are you the guy? Because you're freaking us out. So they send their servants out. And look at this. Look how it's recorded in John chapter 1. It says this. Speaking of John the Baptist here, it says, He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. And so they ask him, well, then who are you? And so they start pulling from the past. They start looking back into the Old Testament like we do. And they're going, well, the last thing we remember is we saw this movie and, and we got our ticket stuff. Are, are you Elijah? Are you, one of the, are you one of the prophets from back then? I mean, who, who are you? What's going on? Look what he said. He answered, no, verse 22. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah. So now he goes back to the movie, to the Old Testament. And he pulls out his ticket stub and he goes, you know who I am? I'm not those guys. I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. John the Baptist says, listen, 
I'm not the guy you're looking for. The guy that you've been looking, this Messiah, this, this anointed one, this chosen one who will come to redeem the world of this sin problem that's been running through the human race for, for millenniums now. I'm not the guy you're looking for. But I'm kind of like the opening act. So get ready. Because this thing's about to get interesting. Enter Jesus. As soon as John the Baptist proclaims, get ready, get ready, get ready, something big's about to happen. Jesus enters the world's scene. And he steps out at exactly the right time. See, watch this. Back in the Old Testament, there were all of these prophets, these religious guys, and all of them began to say things for hundreds of years, like one day there'll come a Messiah. One day this Messiah will come and he'll redeem the world of this sin issue. He'll, he'll take care of the whole problem. He'll solve the whole thing. He'll fix the whole thing. And there were some like 300 prophecies about this Messiah that would come, this Redeemer that would come. Listen, the chances of of one person being able to fulfill all of the prophecies in the Old Testament about him are the same chances as if we would fill the entire state of Texas with 50-cent pieces, two feet high. The entire state of Texas, two feet high with 50-cent pieces, and then pick one and put a red X on it and then bury it somewhere in the state of Texas. Then give one person the chance to fly over in a helicopter, blindfolded, reach down and pick it out and pick the one with the red X on it. The same probability that one person could step into the world at exactly the time Jesus did and fulfill all of those prophecies about him and nail everyone exactly right, it's the same chances. And when we study the life of Jesus, he did that. He picked the red X. Giddy up. So, okay. So Jesus steps into the world scene and he's met with two reactions. The first reaction is people embrace his message and they're like, yeah, this is the guy. This is the one. He's the one we've been waiting for. The other reaction that he got was people who were like, no, I'm not so convinced. See, the religious teachers of the day, they didn't want to believe that this guy could be the guy that they've been waiting for for so long. They wanted it to be someone more religious, more astute, more more dignified than Jesus. Jesus was kind of like, like the savior for the everyman. And they didn't want that. They, they wanted him to look a little different. They wanted him to look more religious, more deep. And Jesus steps in and he's so real and he's so authentic. And he's so approachable. And he's so touchable. And he's so understandable. That the religious people looked on and they're like, can't be him. It's kind of the way Jesus is met with in our culture today, isn't it? There's really only two reactions. Those of us who go, you know what, I think there might be something to this guy. And those of us who go, ah, I think it's just a bunch of bunk. So Jesus steps out into the earth at just the right time and spends three years traveling around preaching this new thing that God wants to do in the hearts of people. And there were positive voices and negative voices, voices of affirmation and voices of dissension. And ultimately, the negative voices won out. 
So they devise a plan, these religious guys devise a plan. We got to get rid of this Jesus because he is so not good for our movement. So they, they track down an insider named Judas. And on the Thursday night of Easter week, as we've come to know it, Jesus is praying in a garden with his followers, his disciples. And Judas and a whole group of guys come out to take Jesus away and to get rid of him. Look, look how John actually records it. He says, now Judas who betrayed him knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons and they apprehend Jesus, this peaceful Jesus, this Jesus who's come to proclaim a new different way of living life, a new message of salvation than the religious leaders had ever known before. And these soldiers come with their torches and their lanterns and their weapons and they take him away. And throughout that night, all Thursday night into Friday, they lead him from one illegal trial to the next. And they torture him during the day on Friday. And the scene ends with Jesus being hung on a cross between two thieves like a common criminal. Again, look at how John records it. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull. Here they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. So Good Friday ends with Jesus on a cross, dead, gone. Movement over. Turn off the lights. Go home. They thought the story was done. But what they didn't realize was that God was still at work. That the biggest victory was about to be one, that, that this Jesus who they thought they had crucified and killed and that this was the end of the movement, that, that the truth is the climax to the story was only just beginning to unfold, that though they had crucified him on a cross, that wasn't the end of the story, that there was a greater plan, a bigger plan going on than anyone could possibly ever imagine, a plan that had taken several millenniums to completely unfold, a plan that it had four hundred years of darkness and, and, and God is an AWOL God for millenniums of worth of a plan that was coming to climax in this moment, a plan to deal once and for all with this sin thing that had entered the human race with Adam and Eve was about to be fulfilled. Relationship was about to be restored. Which brings us to today, Easter Sunday. Look at what John says. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. 
As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Verse 13, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. So these two angels seated there in the tomb, she comes up to the tomb, the stones rolled away, she looks inside completely perplexed, sees two guys sitting there where Jesus' body had been laid, and they ask her, why are you crying? And she's like, because I, I, Jesus is gone, and I don't know what they've done with the body. Verse 14, and this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was him. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Can't you see Mary? She's like, stop asking me that. Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I'll go get him. Can't you hear the frustration in Mary's voice right here? This Jesus, this Savior, this one that you've put all of your hope in, all of your trust in, all of your faith in. They've killed him and they laid him in this tomb and all you want to do is go to the tomb on Sunday morning and honor his body and just... just be left alone and all now all of a sudden there's this gardener and he's all asking you questions what are you crying for what's the problem what's going on can't you see mary she's probably just like dude stop what'd you do with them just tell me where the body is because i'm in no mood for practical jokes and then look at this verse 16 jesus said to her mary and when jesus spoke her name her eyes were open look she turned toward him and cried out in aramaic rabboni which means teacher when jesus spoke her name she got it and suddenly she saw he's alive he's alive death could not defeat him death couldn't hold him down he's alive So she goes back to the disciples. She's like, guys, guys, you're never going to believe this. And they're like, okay, Mary, listen, we we like that you're positive and woohoo, that's great. I mean, you've been listening to your Anthony Robbins tapes again, and that's cool. Way to go. But Mary, come on. We're kind of like in trouble here because the Jewish leaders who put Jesus to death, guess who they're going to try and kill next? All of us. So we appreciate the positivity, Mayor, but we got bigger fish to fry. So Sunday night, first Easter, Sunday night, they're all hanging out. They're huddled up. They got the doors locked, trying to figure out a plan. All right, they killed Jesus, and we thought he was pretty powerful. What are we going to do? How do we get out of town? How do we, how do we survive this? Look how John records it. Verse 20, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked, for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came, stood among them, and said, peace be with you. So Mary comes back and is all fired up. And then Jesus takes it a step further, and he appears in the midst of them. And he says to them, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. I've conquered death. I've conquered it. I've conquered the greatest foe ever, which is death. I've defeated it. And then look what he says in verse 23. This is huge. And he breathed on them and said, receive 
the Holy Spirit. And then right here, this statement. Jesus gives us the culmination of the entire story that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. All the way through Abraham, Moses, the prophets, 400 years of silence, John the Baptist. And in this statement, Jesus proclaims the reality of the new world that the disciples find themselves in. Look what he says. Receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says this. If you forgive the sins of anybody, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, their sins are not forgiven. Okay, time out, Jesus. We, we weren't talking about sin. We were, we were talking about this movement. We were talking about you and the cross and the thing and the tomb and the deal. And we, we, weren't, we weren't talking. Who's talking about sin? What's going on? Well, why does Jesus talk about sin? Because he recognizes the bigger plan and he shows up to his disciples after he's raised from the dead on Sunday night, Easter night. He's like, guys, listen, here's the deal. Sin, the sin all the way from Adam and Eve, all the way through humanity, down from millenniums. I've taken care of it, baby. And then he says, and listen, I want you to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit on your life. You know why? Because this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. This message that Jesus forgives sin has got to go to the whole world now. And I need you guys to carry it forward. And watch this. 2,000 years later from this moment, that message continues to go forward today. That message continues to be proclaimed to the four corners of the earth. That message of Jesus that there is forgiveness available in him continues to go out across the globe today. Next Level Church, we're a part of that message, the proclamation of that message. Every single one of us who name the name of Jesus and declare, I'm a follower of Christ. We're a part of the proclamation of that message, a message that took several millennia to put together continues to go on today and it is the greatest message of all time that this sin thing that has plagued humanity forever has been dealt with so what's the big deal about Easter what's the big deal about this holiday two things Number one, we can be forgiven and free. See, maybe you're here today and you've just only ever had your ticket stub. Guess what? The message is out on DVD. You can take it home. Have you taken home the message? Or have you just heard a good story once? See, Jesus has come and he says, listen, you can be forgiven. You can own it on DVD. And guess what? It comes with so many bonus features, it'll blow your mind. (laughs) What's the big deal about Easter? Number one, we can be forgiven and free. We don't just have to remember once upon a time once. We can actually own it in our heart, the message. And number two, what's the big deal about Easter? We have the power, you and I, average people, 
living normal lives in Southwest Florida, we have the power to influence the world around us and introduce them to this reality that sin can be forgiven. That's the big deal about Easter. So this morning, before we dismiss, can I ask you all over this room today to just bow your head right where you are? Just for the sake of, for the, sake of the sanctity of this moment, would you just do me the favor right now of just bowing your head? Because I want to ask you a question. Have you embraced the forgiveness of Jesus today? This story that started several millennia ago, that Jesus brought the culmination of the story and said this sin thing that's plagued humanity, there's forgiveness available. What have you done with that message? Have you ever embraced that? It's free. It doesn't cost us anything. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you and I could be forgiven in Him. Have you ever embraced that in message? Because I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. If you're listening today, all across this room, I want to ask you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, this is just between you and me and Jesus. And I'm not going to embarrass you or call you out, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the free gift of forgiveness that's available in Jesus. I'm going to count to three. And when I hit three, will you simply lift your hand right now all over this room? Just, just lift your hand up, and that will just be an indicator that in your heart you're responding to say, yeah, I, I need that. I want to be forgiven in my heart. If that's you, would you lift your hand? One, two, three. Just all over this. Awesome. All over this room. Fantastic. Fantastic. Once you put it up, you can put it back down. Right on. Right on. See, your lifted hand is just an indicator that what God wants to do in your heart is bring forgiveness. See, sin separates us from God, but Jesus gives us the ability to be in relationship with Him once again because He defeated and conquered the ultimate foe, which was death. And the Bible says that one of the bonus features, one of the byproducts of being in relationship with Jesus Christ and having our sin forgiven is that He will not only come in and impact the way we can live our lives now here on earth, but that when we die, He gives us an opportunity to be united eternally with God in heaven. And I don't know about you, but that's a sweet bonus feature. So all over this room, for the sake of so many who have lifted their hands this morning, I'm going to ask all of us to repeat a prayer. I'm going to pray, and then if you'll just pray right out loud. And those of you who lifted your hand, if you just raise your voice right now with everybody around you, God's going to hear your words, but look past your words and move in your heart and do something amazing this morning. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thanks for loving me so much that you set this story in place thousands of years ago and have brought my life to this place so that today I could hear this message and be impacted by it. I receive your forgiveness right now. Sin is no longer held against me. I am forgiven. I am in relationship with you. Thank you for dying for me so that I could be forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. Wow. I want you to know, if you prayed that prayer from your heart and you meant it, 
that God has done an amazing, incredible work in your heart. And I want, I want to help unpack this for you even more. And we've created a CD that's like an interview thing. It's about a 15 or 17 minute interview deal. And I want to get that into your hands. So if, if that was you, you raised your hand. Would you take out your bulletin right now? Everybody take out your bulletin. And on the, on the connection card that Caleb talked about earlier, down at the bottom there's a little box that says it has two places where you can check. One says, I just said yes to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's you. If you did that today, that's you. The other box says that I just rededicated my life. I recommitted my life to Christ. If that's you, if maybe you've done this before, but you kind of wandered away from this commitment, would you do me a favor? Would you take that, that connection card right now and simply just put your name and maybe your address on there or some way that I can get in touch with you because I want to send you this CD that I, we've created to help you understand even more this decision that you've just made, this prayer that you just prayed, what that really means, what God's doing in your heart. So would you simply take that connection card to one of two places? At the end of service today, if you're a regular Next Level attender, you know that right in between the seats right here in the middle section, there are going to be prayer partners, people who are on our prayer team who want to pray with you. And if you have a need of any kind today, man, that's why these prayer team people are there. They love God a whole bunch, and they want to intercede with you and pray with you over whatever you might be going through today. And at the end of service, if if that's you, would you bring your connection card down there? The other place is maybe you're kind of intimidated by the whole prayer team thing. We, we, that's okay. We understand. Here's what we want to do. We want to make it easy for you to turn in your connection card. So at the bottom of the stairs as you go out to the main foyer, you're going to see a couple of tables out there that say welcome. Would you take that connection card before you leave today and just simply hand it to someone at that welcome table so that our office this week can mail this CD out to you and I can be in communication with you? Because this decision that you've made today is the most important decision that you'll ever make for all of eternity. Knowing where you stand and being in a relationship with Jesus Christ is by far the most important decision we can ever make. Let me ask you a second question this morning, all of us listening. Because, see, we're challenged in two ways. One, what are we going to do with the forgiveness of Jesus? But number two, remember what he said to his disciples. He said, I've put my Holy Spirit in you so that you can go and forgive sin. See, God's commissioned every single one of us who are followers of Jesus to go from this place into our everyday lives and simply be the hands of Jesus and let other people know, you know what? I got a secret. You can be forgiven. You can find life in Jesus. So if you embrace that, if you embrace that mission that Jesus has commissioned every one of us to be on and of our lives to be about. Because I would challenge each one of us who are followers of Jesus as we go from this place on Easter Sunday that we can go as the light of the world proclaiming the forgiveness of our Savior. The culmination of the story of God on planet Earth. Maybe you're here And as we close this morning, you're thinking to yourself, you know, Matt, that's cool, and I I get what you're talking about. I think that's great. But I got questions. I, I, I got questions about the Bible. I got questions about my faith. I got questions about all of this. I mean, what did God do with the polar bears on the ark? Questions like that, right? Because there's a good chance that all of us, we we got questions. Well, you know what? Here's here's what I want you to know. In the next two weeks, starting next Sunday, April 15th and then April the 22nd, I want to take two weeks for us as a church 
to, to do a little two-part little mini-series. And in week one, we're going we're gonna to ask the question, God, do I have questions? All right, God, that's great. I get the salvation thing. I get the Jesus thing. Fine. But I got questions. I want to know about the polar bears. I want to know about that. You know what? We're going to look at a guy who was one of the 12 disciples who after the resurrection, next Sunday we're going to look at this, he wasn't convinced. So next week is God, do I have questions? And then the week after that, we're going we're gonna to do this message. God, do they have questions? Because there's a good chance, and we hear this a lot from you guys, that as you go about your world, your day, and your job, and your workplace, and your life, people find out that you've been coming to church. They find out that you're following Jesus, and they start asking you questions. Anybody ever had a question that somebody asked you, and you're like, I don't know about the polar bears on the ark. I don't know. Right? Okay, lots of us. In part two of this little mini-series, we're going to ask the question, God, do they have questions? What do we do when people ask us questions about our faith, and we're like, I don't know, but he's really funny. What do we do? So that's where we're headed. The next two weeks, today, the big question, what's the big deal about Easter? Next Sunday, God, do I have questions? And if you've ever brought a question, next Sunday is the week to be here. And then in part two of that, God, do they have questions? What do we do with the questions that the world asks us? That's where we're headed. So you don't want to miss next Sunday. Let's stand together this morning. Are you glad you've been at church on Easter Sunday? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for a great day. Thank you for salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that so many, God, dozens and dozens and dozens this morning have put their faith in you. Thanks for starting a relationship with them. Father, thank you for Easter. Thanks for rising from the dead, completing the story. I pray that you would go with us into our worlds that we could be your light, that we could show others and let others know they can be forgiven like we are. Go with us now into our week, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody sit. Amen. Amen. Give two people a high five. You're dismissed.